right, welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us as we continue to make our way through the early parts of First Timothy. Here, got through the salutation yesterday. Um, typically, there would be in a in a Greek letter there would be something that comes after the salutation that would be a kind of a affirmation of a person. How are you doing? Good to think. I I think about you. I've been praying for you. Whatever. But here, Paul jumps right into the substance of the letter. He, he doesn't even—maybe he assumes that Timothy knows that. He's already said some nice things about him in the salutation. But rather than what we see in many other of Paul's letters where he has a moment where he says some encouraging thing, here he gets right down to business with Timothy. Um, so let me start in verse 3. There's a lot to unpack here. We'll try to get through uh, as much of it as we can to be helpful here. I urge you, as I did when I was on my way to Macedonia, to remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach any different doctrine. Uh, maybe just we can pause there, Michael. So it, it may be helpful to have a sense of what the early church looks like, we think. And what we think is that unlike our experience of church, where all the people in a church would come to a central place to gather, the the New Testament early church was more a series of house churches in an area. And within that area, there would be these individuals called overseers or elders, and they would each have some responsibility for a, a group of people. And this this letter, this book, is very concerned about that kind of leadership. Who is going out to the people in this fellowship, and what are they teaching? And I think the reason that's helpful, Michael, is because when this says certain people teaching different doctrine, it sounds like Paul is interacting with the culture. But, but this is about the church. In other words, hmm. Paul and Timothy know who certain people, they know those names. Timothy knows who Paul is talking about. Paul's not talking about people out in the world who teach things other than Christianity. He's talking about people in the church in some leadership role who are sharing things, teaching things, following things that he believes to be out of step with the gospel that he taught Timothy and that Timothy's now called to, to teach the church. And, and I think that matters, Michael, because um, we, we, should, we should remember when we read especially a letter like this, that this is written inside the circle, not outside the circle. We are only three verses in. This is verse three, right? Our first two verses were those greetings, uh, the hello, uh, all of that kind of initial leather stuff. And if that seems short to you, it's because it is. I, we have in other leathers in our New Testament much longer introductions than this. The fact that Paul goes so quickly to the substance in verse three, where he says, I urge you I mean, that carries even in English, the kind of force that we see in the original language, this idea of uh, you need to take action or I, I want you to take this seriously. This is an important thing, Timothy, and immediately turns to this instruction that was given previously in Macedonia, this idea that you should remain in Ephesus to make your point, Clint. Uh, you know, no one is going to be in Ephesus doing this teaching that needs corrected 
if they're not inside the church, right? We're not talking about some external philosopher. We're not talking about some professor down at the local community college who, who has nothing to do with the church. No, this is a teacher who Timothy has to keep in mind. And this, uh, what I have glossed here in the NIV as certain people, uh, it, it is glossed correctly. It, it's not just like one person. It is it is that group. It is that cohort. It, it's people who are united around some theme. Now, this is what makes biblical interpretation really interesting, is we don't ever have a dictionary that tells us the people of uh, that are being addressed in this letter are united around this theological issue. We We get it in uh, some brief fleeting comments, some images, some things that Paul says that scholars go back and make some intuitive, educated guesses about. But not to spoil it, Clint, we're never going to know exactly what binds this group of teachers together. But what we do know is Paul believes there's a different doctrine at stake, that there is something substantial on the table, and that Timothy needs to hold an important line. Uh, ideally, he's going to hold the line that he was taught in, Paul's understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and and Paul's concern is that if Timothy doesn't do that, there's a different doctrine at stake. Yeah, absolutely. And so as background here, there is this thing that readers of First and Second Timothy and Titus try to figure out. There, there's clearly some set of teachings being taught, being shared. There, there's a heresy of some sort that is making its way around these churches, and we don't know what that is. There are guesses made there are inferences in the text. We read the text and we think, oh, it must have involved that or something like that. We'll see that in the very next verse. But it's interesting that that's where Paul has to start. This letter, we're going to see in these six chapters, Paul's going to talk with Timothy about a variety of things, church leadership, marriages, widows, behaviors, theology, and, and he doesn't start with any of that. He's going to talk to Timothy about his leadership. He doesn't start with any. Paul dives into the deepest part of the pool, the place where he believes all of it lie, the responsibility for all of it is found, and what is it? They are not to teach different doctrine. For Paul, the most dangerous thing in the church is this different doctrine, this teaching or, or group of teachings, set of teachings, these ideas that he believes lead people away from the gospel of Jesus Christ and into something else. Now, in the next verse, we get some hints, perhaps, at what it involves or the kind of stuff it might have in it. But Michael, I think it's especially telling that he, he begins here. In, in other letters, we see Paul, when we went through Romans, we see Paul take a very long run-up, almost right. five chapters, to right. get where he wants to land. Here he takes two verses yeah. and then just puts it out there. Certain people, and Timothy likely knows who they are, are teaching a, a different doctrine, and Timothy likely knows what it is. And for Paul, that I think that's the heart of whatever's going on in Ephesus. That's the heart of it. Yeah, and maybe it helps. We we didn't explicitly tease this out too much, uh, but this idea that Timothy is teaching 
in Ephesus that that there's these groups um, that are relevant to this place, you need to know that this is a very cosmopolitan society, that there is a lot of business and merchants that come from all around the world. Ephesus has one of the major ancient temples, so there's a substantial religious uh, even, I, let me use the word economy, that exists there because th- there's a lot of idols sold and a lot of um, sort of exchanges that happen as part of that society. What makes that relevant is it, you have lots of different kinds of expression of even uh, racial and ethnic sort of groups within this city. And so we're going to see teased out here uh, very quickly, even verse 4, a little bit of some of the things that uh, may hint to some Hellenism, some Hellenistic Jews um, who may be part of that group, and we'll tease out what some of that reasoning is. But what you need to know is that th- there was a messy sort of crosswind happening in the midst of a culture like the one that Paul's speaking into, because you have so many different influences. You have the Roman influence, you have the sort of more ancient religions influence, you have the economic sort of reality of idols and different sort of uh, people groups all gathering and mixing. And in the midst of that, you have Paul and Timothy trying to proclaim the gospel and for this seed to grow into a robust Christian faith. And that's what Paul deeply cares about. He He's not trying to get a Christian light group or Christian sort of like group. Paul wants a group of Christians, people who are in the body of Christ. And to do that, he clearly feels a, a level of commitment to the foundation of that community of believers. And, and Timothy is on the front lines of that work. Yeah. And Paul speaking into Timothy's leadership is giving him that guidance. You have to instruct these people. In, in other words, Timothy, it falls to you because what Paul understands is that in the absence of leadership, chaos thrives. If, if Timothy can't find a way to confront these people and and can't contain them, that it is likely to damage and potentially destroy this fellowship. So I think it's very helpful to keep this this opening verse in mind because it really is the backdrop against which everything else Paul says. When we get to things in a chapter or so that sound hard for us to kind of come to terms with, it helps to put them in conversation with this idea that in the background is a different doctrine that Paul is afraid will damage the Christian spirit in Ephesus. And so um, I, I will we'll bring this up a lot. But let me go on to the next verse here. Not to teach different doctrine, and verse 4, and not to occupy themselves with myths and endless genealogies that promote speculation rather than the divine teaching that is known by faith. And again, I think we can pause there, Michael. So here we get our first kind of glimpse. What what is he what are these doctrines Paul's talking about? Well, myths, so th- things that aren't in scripture, endless genealogies, those probably are in the scripture, and promoting speculation rather than divine training. The theory is that in Ephesus there was a group of Christian Jewish people or formerly Jewish people who had begun believing that they had found in in what we call the Old Testament some secret stuff. 
They had combed through genealogies. They had put numbers together. They, they kind of had built this, this system of looking at the scripture as a code book. And they believed that with their spirituality, they had seen into this. And so they were building this kind of theology of a sort based on all of that. And, and if that sounds very strange, it has plagued the church in every generation. Yeah. N- not a year goes by that I don't get an article or a book or someone comes in to visit to tell me, hey, if you read the book of Revelation, this chapter, and combine it with the, with Ezekiel in this chapter, take this word from Daniel and look at this story in First Kings, guess what you find out? And, and the answer is nothing, right? I mean, they, Paul says we're... You're speculating. You're promoting speculation rather than divine training. And there is this temptation in the history of Christianity, Michael, to become obsessed with little stuff that is strange instead of big stuff that is clearly spoken. And it seems to me that Ephesus has some Christians that have fallen into that trap. Oh, you, Clint knows. <laughs> I love this stuff. Yeah, this is your wheelhouse. I, I, no, it is my wheelhouse. And I'm not going to burden you with why, but number one, Clint's exactly right that if we're going to allow this text to speak to our current context, this is unbelievably prescient. Now, let's not move to that too quickly. Let's start with the text itself. This is the very foundation why scholars start leaning on this idea that maybe these folks have a Jewish orientation, the people that Paul is speaking against, because the draw to genealogies, most likely those genealogies are Old Testament genealogies, those would only really be interesting to people who had some understanding of the history, the connection. And and so that that's a sort of indirect reason why scholars say, you know, that that may be a particular uh, point of evidence as to the fact that maybe this group has some Jewish leanings in their theology. But then there's also this idea that there's some of of this myth or this sort of um, not connected to reality kind of thinking. Maybe that's allegory. Uh, Maybe that's that they are just so uh, metaphorical and spiritual that they kind of think beyond this world. Um, Of course, in the ancient world, there was a lot of uh, platonic sort of philosophy and different branches of that that worked its way into public life. Um, the point here that I want to make is that fundamentally, regardless of exactly who this is describing, the impact of it is clear. Paul says right here at the end of this section here that um, these promote speculations rather than what? Than divine training known by the faith. And that divine training could also be translated divine plan, this idea of gospel or God's revelation. This is absolutely essential. The, the, the place, as Paul is arguing, these folks are missing the mark. The point, the, the why in the road is that they have chosen a version of the faith in his mind that is not connected to real human life. It's all lived out in the fantasy and imagination of the mind. It, it, it's all connecting dots, none of it connecting to hearts. And this is what makes Timothy's letter so brutal, is it is practical. Paul is going to get down on the ground level over and over again. He's going to tell Timothy very specifically, you should do this or you shouldn't do this. 
that is the kind of implementation of God's plan as Paul understands it. His critique appears to be that these false leaders are kind of living out in outer space. They're, 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 they're living out a kind of spiritual life that's disconnected from any kind of real human life. Yeah, and I think it's helpful, Michael, and push back if you don't agree with this, but Paul is not a person who doesn't believe in in sort of mystical stuff. I mean, Paul speaks in tongues. Sure, yeah. Paul talks about praying in the Spirit. Paul has references to these kind of metaphysical ideas or ultra-spiritual ideas, and yet Paul fundamentally believes that all we need to know, we know in the gospel of Jesus Christ— and and therefore, I think Paul has just a patent disinterest for the idea that you need some secret decoder ring to understand what God is doing. Because in Paul's mind, what God has done in Christ is made so clear to people yeah. that that it is it is the obvious sign that God has acted. And for Paul, it is just then unthinkable and unacceptable. That you would have church people teaching, yeah, Jesus is great, but let me show you what else you need. And that, that simply, that simply doesn't work for Paul. It, it, it takes him to a place where he, he feels compelled to work against them and to, to correct them. And he calls Timothy to that, that you, they are, they're chasing these things, Timothy, and you need to tell them, to stop, and you need to return them to divine training that is known. That That is an important word, known, because they believe they have discovered the unknown. And what Paul argues is that God has made Jesus Christ known. There is no secrecy. There is no magic formula. There is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Christ is sufficient. This is the, the bedrock. I can't stress enough how much this is the central theme of Paul's teaching and the danger and and probably how why he reacts so strongly mm-hmm. to this idea that there's something else you need to know to go with it. Okay. So what you've so I think eloquently laid out there is the fundamental Christian doctrine of revelation which we mm. see in Paul. And if you I mean just to quick throw this up here when when you look at this word it shows you right here, you know, this idea of Jesus Christ reveals uh, that fundamentally he, he shows us in his person perfectly what God needs for us to know. That, that when we look at Jesus, there is nothing more that we need for life, faith, godliness, righteousness, that if we look beyond that, In fact, I would go so far, Clint, as to say, if we lean upon our own wit, our ability to put together the numbers and connect the genealogies and figure out the date and find the the accurate faith sort of substance, then, then we have become the mechanism of our own divinity. We have, like Adam and Eve, strove to take for ourselves a thing that can only be available to those who have received it as a gift. And, and that gift is Jesus Christ. Jesus reveals who God is, and anything less than that is 
is not substantial. It, it's it's myth. It's false. It's 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 ethereal and airy. It's not Christian, right? And and the word reveal means to uncover. So again, the idea that God has uncovered this saving truth, this this most important truth of human existence, and then to have people say, well. That's most of it, but some of it's still covered up, and you have to listen to me because I'll tell you how to uncover it. You can, I, I don't, we don't want to beat this into the ground, but you just can't imagine how much that would irk Paul and how much it cuts against his grain. Um, Michael, I want to, I, we're pressed for time a little bit, but I'd like, I think it's helpful to get through one more verse here because Paul does kind of come in hot, but. This next verse, verse 5, But the aim of such instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. This is a beautiful reminder from an older man to a younger man in telling him that as you as you are put in a position that you have to say hard words to people, you do so with a soft heart, with a clean heart, with a pure conscience, that to confront them, you know, most people don't love conflict. And so this this young pastor, we're going to learn he's got a sour stomach. We're going to learn that he, he's conscious, self-conscious about being young. And here he is being called to stand up to very likely elders in the church and tell them, shape up. And he he probably doesn't revel in that. And in fact, we get the impression he certainly doesn't want to. But Paul says... You have to do that, and it has to come from the right place. It's not arguing for argument's sake. It's not conflict just for conflict. It's for their good. It's to show them a better way. It's to bring them back to the truth of Jesus Christ. And and this is the great calling of leadership in the church, to do things that are sometimes not very easy and fun to do for the right reasons and, and to keep those two realities in balance as one works within a community. Yeah, a lot more could be said, and for sake of time, I, I'll be very brief. I just want to point out, I want to make sure we're all on the same page. We are now just at the end of verse 5. I want you to just consider how far we've traveled in 5, and what we have is 5 verses. We have a greeting. We have a encouragement to stand strong in the original purpose, right, to, to stand up, uh, to... Um, straighten your spine, Timothy. There, there are th- some things worth defending. And then, yet, he has still eloquently made clear the heart and purpose behind all of it. And that is, the purpose of such instruction is what? Love. Love that comes from a pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. In other words, Timothy, this is not a Timothy show. This isn't about you winning. It's not you about, about you being advanced or made great. It's not about you having a high title or status or running people out. It is about having a good conscience rooted in real love. You cannot read this, friends, without thinking 1 Corinthians 13, this idea, this beautiful uh, exposition of what love truly is. I, Paul is incredible. We, we've had a few sentences, literally, is all this has been, and we've already had a full sermon uh, delivered to us. It's not on accident, and and it is amazing if you're willing to to slow down to see how deep Paul is within the just few short words of this book. 
Yeah, <laughs> you may be already getting the sense. We're going to be in First Timothy for a while in this Bible study. There, there's a lot here. Um, it won't all be as slow as today, but much of it may be. But there, we don't want to miss things because we do think that what's here um, is really, really good and very helpful. And so um, that's where we'll end for today. We'll pick up next Monday. Hope you can be with us. Hope you all have a good weekend, and thank you for your time. Thanks for joining us. Thank mm-hmm. you.